Welcome to the American Intelligence Media. My name is Douglas Gabriel. I'm here with my good friend John Barnwell and Michael McKibben. We are discussing the future of all this technology. I don't know, the, I call it the digital future, the virtual reality future. And I'm going to frame this for you gentlemen, and I'm going to let you just go at this. And this is sheer speculation. So Michael, the engineer, please you take off your engineer hat, just whole hog. Uh, go into that uh, very moral Christian part of yourself when you when you talk about this stuff because I mentioned it to you and you didn't say you were really keen about it but I got to talk about this first off let me give you an example uh, Sophia the robot okay so she becomes a citizen of Saudi Arabia even though the females in Saudi Arabia aren't citizens of Saudi Arabia so we give more credence to a computer uh, if there's a if there's an IT problem no one gets in trouble all you have to say is IT problem, well, tech problem. My, my first reaction to that was, what's the ulterior motive? Because everything about that fired off every cognitive dissonant I had. So what in the heck was that? <laughs> well, the, the computers rule. How dare Arabia? you as a human? Of all places to have a platform for that, out of Saudi Arabia? Isn't that disgusting? And my point is, is they use the name Sophia. I don't even think against Saudi Arabia, but their names never come up in the tech world. And all of a sudden, they're introducing a robot. And Sophia is the being of wisdom, but she's not wise, and she's not artificial intelligence, and she's not intelligent at all. She's a machine, and she's a machine subroutines. My point is, in the future, are we going to put chips in our brain? Are we going to become cyborgs? Are we going to try to uh, manipulate the human being until it becomes more of a machine than a human? Some say that our future is nothing more than being imprisoned by the machines that we're creating now. Look at the predictions of the scientists. They now say 80% of the workers will be out of work in, in just a few years by robots. We have robot warriors. We got robot sex. We got robot prostitutes. We got drones delivering things to your house. We have the Internet of Things. You shouldn't have to leave your house in the future because Eric Schmidt's box of alphabet is going to bring you everything you need. Are we going to become machines? Who is going to win this? The science fiction says humans lose to the robot wars, to the cyborg wars, to the clone wars. Are we going to lose this? Are we going to win this? Well, you know, Where's one the of, hope? One of the things uh, about working with technologists and mathematicians and physicists and mechanical engineers is the nature of the p people that tend to go into these fields, uh, it, over time you see patterns. And one of the patterns is People who like doing that, and it's a predominance of men, but, but there are women uh, also, is that they like interesting projects. And one of the things I observed long ago is they really don't care whether the, the end result is moral or not. They don't really care what the negative implications of what they're doing is. They just like doing it because it's interesting. And what we've done now is we have given those folks a lot of cash. And so the natural end result of that, that, that uh, progression is we're going to keep giving them cash to do interesting things, which what you're describing is the natural end result of continually funding technology scientists to do interesting things. They're going to do a lot of interesting things that are going to hurt us. Boys toys. Yeah, boys and girls toys. Mm -hmm. And so over time, it seems that if we don't put a fence around this progress, we will end up in this dystopian future you're describing. But I don't think that's inevitable. 
I think we have choices. We're moral beings. We have choices to make. And the choices we make right now may or may not uh, prevent the future of our of humanity from going off the rails. Well, I'm not sure which way it's going to go, but I do know one thing. No machine will ever have any intelligence, and no machine will ever have any wisdom. And that's the reason that they caricaturize it. That's the reason that they make it entertainment. That's the reason education has been replaced by entertainment. That's the reason religion has been replaced by consumerism. That's the reason that your cell phone is more important to the people at your Thanksgiving dinner. That's more, your, your cell phone is more important than anything. Take away someone's cell phone and throw it in the pond. See what happens. Take away their computer. Tell them there's no Wi-Fi connection. To them, to a teenager, no Wi-Fi connection is worse than a nuclear war. Tell them, which would you rather have? A nuclear bomb drop on your head or no Wi-Fi? And they'll say, give me the nuclear bomb. Well, you know, you made a statement earlier about how the, the Saudis uh, haven't apparently played much of a role in technology. And, but yet, uh, they're kind of like the, a power behind the throne, mm. you know. So, for example, if you, if you look at the, the prince that was arrested, Walid bin Talal, for example, okay. Well, he's a major shareholder in, in most of, of the social media companies. Yeah, that's what I'm coming to be aware of. He's a major shareholder of Citigroup. Now, it's common knowledge amongst people that are paying attention that Citigroup had selected uh, Barack Obama's cabinet members before he even took well, office. C Citigroup, as I recall, after Glass-Steagall was abolished, the first act was to combine the city properties into Citigroup. That was created by Bill Clinton and Larry Summers in 1999, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that well, was the first of the big conglomerate but banks. The fact that that it was uh, Bin Talal that that is a ma major shareholder in that, and also uh, occupied the the uh, upper floors of the Mandalay Bay Hotel as a major shareholder in in MGM, uh, and was arrested after uh, Donald Trump had his his. Interesting. First, mind you, the first thing that Donald Trump did when he became President Trump, the first uh, trip that he took was to Saudi Arabia. Okay, and he had that meeting where they all had their hands on that glowing ball, right? And they did the sword dance and By the, the way, whole deal. And that was called the Palantir Ball. Yeah, the Palantir Ball, exactly. And that was, if you look. In the film, you can see up in the center that it's at the anti-terrorism center of Saudi Arabia. Okay, so that it was the the crown prince coming into power uh, and accepting the challenge from Donald Trump that they were to disavow all forms of terrorism. And so, if you go into the the uh, Q clearance posts that have been happening. Uh, on the internet that have been getting so much traffic, you'll see that the, the, the plus, plus, plus that Q Clearance posted, okay? Uh, and seven hours later, or seven minutes later, excuse me, Donald, President Trump uh, made a post on, on Twitter with the plus, plus, plus. 
Now later, uh, uh, Q clearance clarifies that plus plus plus, okay, is the Saudis. Plus plus is the Rockefellers, and plus is George Soros. So you're talking about who's the money behind this globalist alliance between the institutional left and the, the uh, extreme elements uh, that are present in Islam. And that's, that's what we're looking at mm. here. And that's the challenge that, that Donald Trump has taken, and he, he met it head on. It surprised everybody. He went straight to Saudi Arabia, and they thought, oh, geez, what's he doing? Well, uh, he's had so to resort. So are you saying that, tech, uh, that programmers from Saudi Arabia are involved, or are you talking about the money? Just the money. Oh, okay. Because we haven't they noticed like much presence of no, no, no. Saudi they like, programmers. They, they, like, they figure if they own things, they don't have to. Okay. Mind you, uh, the, the, if you look, check the early history of the, the, the Saudis, that leads back to uh, raiders uh, that raided uh, the caravans. You know, they, they ultimately... Uh, capitalized on the efforts of other people. They were big in the slave trade. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to throw shade on them, but that's their history, mm -hmm. and it's, it's really quite well known and well written about. Right. So, is the petrodollar becoming the digital dollar? Have the tech monopoly cyber lords actually replaced the Saudi influence in America? Because it was the, you know, the petrodollar. And OPEC has controlled our economy, and now it's uh, the bubble on the stock market is being watched through Apple, and so it's the you know the few big monopolies that are in fact driving our economy. And is that going to drive us into abnegating humanity, abnegating humanness for machines? That's that's the question for me because what you did with social networking gave globalism and global communication in global commerce, the possibility to exist. It's going so fast. You sit here in front of me and you tell me about your experiences and this was not that long ago that the revolution that we've experienced, this quantum leap in computing, could in fact absorb and, and basically consume those who are unconscious Well, as we, as we As we have observed from looking at all the Eclipse Foundation minutes, uh, they got started on November 29th of 2001, thinking we were ready. Uh, we didn't get everything debugged with the scalability issues until the end of 2003. Then once uh, Zuckerberg and, and everybody else got the code, they were off to the races by February 2nd through the 5th of 2004 when EclipseCon, when IBM hosted their first convention out in San Francisco, in the middle of which Facebook launched. Uh, and, and then you look at the de continuing development of the code, uh, they didn't really start hitting their stride until Barack Obama took power. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it, it was you, you can see the whole nature of everybody, everybody who was anybody in tech had joined Eclipse by 2007, 2008. They had almost 200 members. They actually boasted it with their with logos of all their members on the uh, on their website. And look at the exponential growth of every one of those companies. So right. stretch that out for 10 years. Stretch that right. out to 15 years. Where are we going to be? Will we have any more human freedom or will machines 
basically control our lives. Well, what, what I wanted to say about the eclipse piece is that we also now see from uh, banking records that a lot of money started being invested from uh, Russia, uh, from Dubai, and various locations in the Middle East uh, about that time into these companies. And then they, uh, I think Facebook probably delayed because of our lawsuit until 2012 when we uh, were turned down at the Federal Circuit. Uh, but we could already see them announcing all their inter-alliances and things that are so anti-competitive uh, you, you can't even believe it. So by the time uh, Barack Obama's finishing up his uh, first term, they were off to the races. Is it Disney who has his brain in solution? or And there's also people who are chirogenetically frozen. Michael, when you die, you're a great genius. Should we put your brain into a machine? Can we, <laughs> can we download you into a computer? John, I think, I think that a cyber upgrade for you could be helpful, you know, mm. uh, you know that, that hand well, actually, yours. I've already stored myself on this empty card. <laughs> I just saw that Star Trek, uh, uh, one of those Star Trek... Uh, Episodes the other day where he, he dumped it. He, he was going to die, so he dumped it into the next generation. They think they can do this. I know it sounds like I'm making a joke. Well, that's they are spending billions of dollars to try to put their consciousness into a machine. And these are the psychopaths at the top who are these cut out cardboard, what are they called? Young boy kings. These boy kings think they're going to live forever, even if it's in a machine. It reminds me of what Rudolf Steiner had said about psychology. He said that how can one create a, a psychology, a human psychology, when you don't even know what a human being is? See? And so consequently, you have this, this kind of counter image of a human being that, they, that they're working with and they think, aha, we've figured it out. And all it is is kind of a, a counter image of the human nervous system. Okay? The center of human consciousness is, is not the nervous system. That's the mirror, the reflective mirror. The center of human consciousness is in the heart, mm -hmm. see? And there is no heart in this system. It's heartless. And that's, that gets back to what I was saying in a previous episode, is that you have these, these archon beings that are binary. They, they have no center force like a heart. And, but the heart... Is, is, is an image of the cosmos, really. And it's an image of the cosmos, whereas the nervous system is a reflection of the cosmos, you see. So that you have this counterplay. Mm -hmm. If you go into embryology, you'll see that the first things that arise, right, it's blood and nerve. And out of blood and nerve, out of the white and the red, it's the white and red of alchemy, right, or the yin-yang, right? Out of this white and red arises a human being, see? And, but the living element is expressing in the blood. See, the nervous system can work because it's a deadening force, that, that thoughts die into your nervous system. Nervous... Tissues kind of the most inert, and be and because it's so uh, kind of it participates in the world of death, it can enable the the transmission of impulses to carry through undisturbed. 
Whereas the blood is much too turb turbulent as it spirals through the blood vessels and so on and so forth, you see. So that in, in understanding what a human being is, it's not encompassed in a computer. A computer is not an image of a human being, see? And that is the problem. And that's what's going to, to bring us into the new, new realm, dispensation, what have you. It will be the ability to be able to translate what we have within the world of subnature techniques and humanize it sufficiently so that it's directed through heart forces. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Rudolf Steiner described technology in the future that that was dependent upon the moral force of the individual. Mm. So that if one was not possessed of those moral forces, you couldn't even make the machine operate. Now that's kind of hard to conceive of, you know, but yet if one carries that image as, as something of a goal, uh, at least one could strive to, to embrace uh, what it means to be human has to do with something moral, mm -hmm. see? And that's what was so struggled with. If you look into, in the example of the church fathers, you have the Greek church fathers that were philosophers, mm -hmm. but then you have the, the fathers of the Roman church, of the Western church, well, they were lawyers, mm -hmm. see? And that's kind of like, again, the blood and nerve. The, right. the, the Eastern church is the blood and the Western church is the nerve. So now we're dealing, we have a Congress and a Senate, and who are they? It's a bunch of lawyers. And they're going to they're gonna parse everything down into legalese. Mm -hmm. They're going to capture creativity. Why? I, name somebody on Capitol Hill that's ever created anything. But the only one who's ever created anything is, is President Trump, right? He's one of the few people in that whole city that's ever created anything. Well, I think uh, I, the way I look at him is he's not out to create a permanent job for himself in Washington. Yeah, it's not a career path. He, he just wants to. <laughs> I, I've often said the best thing we could do is take all of our agencies and spread them out all over the United States. And I actually heard this idea from a Democratic uh, funder in Minnesota, so I don't take credit for it. But he, he said, you, we've got to break the what he called the Acela Mafia, which is the Acela train from Washington all the way up to Boston. And basically, that's the, where the power center is right now. And he said, move, move these agencies out to North Platte, Nebraska. Because as soon as you do that, you, you break up this cabal that, that, I mean, they sit around in Washington and, and they conceive of these legalistic notions that you're talking about and they agree that they're the right thing to do and then they act on them and they find money for them but if they're all out or in about around in in the midst of real people it seems to me you're going to start seeing a change in the way there could government. be see the thing is is for example if you look at the media in 1980 there were more than 50 media companies that were considered the major media now there's what six Six, yes. Okay. And um, also in, in 1980... All uh, owned by the same group of banks, by the yeah, way. Yeah, the same six. And, yeah. and then their underlying funds are all the same. Yeah, folks. yeah. It's all... There's, a, there's 147 corporations that, that uh, earn 80% of the wealth in the world. That was what they came up in the Swiss computer analysis of 40, 
some thousand corporations. But anyways, to get back to the, the theme that I'm expressing here, if you also go back to 1980, you'll find that uh, Washington, D.C. at that time was basically a middle-class hmm. city. Even as late as 1980? Well, coming out of the late 70s into 1980, oh. that's when it started... Uh, it's blooming, uh, what have you, mm -hmm. uh, as a result of, because uh, we don't have a sufficient short terms of, of uh, political offices and we have all the lobbyists in place and all of that. Now it's one of the wealthiest cities in the world. Now, why is Barack Obama wealthy when he makes what he's supposed to be making, uh, you know, he's been making presidential income, you know, uh, why is Nancy Pelosi worth what? I think it's forty million dollars. Uh, being a public servant, they, they're all they're doing all inside. When, when they get elected, they become investing geniuses. Yeah, oh, that's, that's, <laughs> notice how they're It's obvious. But yes. you see, once you centralize everything in Washington D.C., that's what computers do. Computers centralize. Yes. And, and here's the deal: I never trusted those, though I had one of the first degrees in computer programming. They are black boxes filled with gremlins and demons who suck the warmth out of your body and suck the light out of your brain. And that's the way <laughs> I've always looked at it. I'm sorry to have to tell you, I know that this is your business and all, but uh, my no, question okay. is, is when your work, because this has been proven Basically, fact, computers suck. They suck. They suck <laughs> the warmth and the life right out well, of you. Well, let me, yeah. let me, so let me back up. So can we turn it to something moral? Let me can back we? you up. The Computers, <laughs> when they are replacing a repetitive task to free up somebody else so they don't get carpet tunnel syndrome or something like that. I don't see how anybody could say that's bad. No, I agree. Okay, it saves, so saves work. Mechanistic, uh, replacing mechanistic tasks that are, that are dehumanizing, it seems to me, is a useful use of a that piece of technology. trying to call me. Oh, okay. <laughs> But right? the, Would but you the agree Atlas with that? Warrior computer. Well, that's a little bit different story. <laughs> you know? So it, it, any of these things can be used for good or evil, and we just we want to talk about using them for good. That's the whole point. How can we bring warmth back? For, for instance, when you're on Facebook, there's a list of diseases that arise from being on Facebook, and one of them is that you're cold and heartless. Because you're not really ever going to meet those people, so you can say whatever you want. So people are as cruel as they've ever been. They admit they, in some cases, never been more cruel than the words they use on Facebook to these people they'll never meet. Though they're their friends who give them dopamine hits every time they like something that they post. So this is the devil trying to suck you in and the demons trying to control your life, suck up your willpower. Now, you can debate this any way you want. I'm looking at it very simplistically as a religious person. Uh, yeah, machines can relieve a lot of work, but do we want them to relieve all of our work so that we have nothing to do so that we... Obviously not. We sit around and what, what becomes of us then? What is a human being, as John has asked? Are we a human becoming an angel, or are we a human devolving into an animal, or are we a human turning well, into it, a machine, it, it, or are we a, a machine that... What, did a machine create us? This is a spiritual war of individuals empowered with different philosophies that they're trying to push on the public. And that's the problem. The genius of the Republic is they created a, a mechanism for dialogue. We're not using that mechanism. I don't have to agree with you. You don't have to agree with me, but we need the dialogue. And 
the danger is you get all the money, I have none of the money, and you push your philosophy on me without my permission. That's where it goes off the rails. And what you're saying is, through this various mechanisms of money, people with certain philosophies of life, which, which you've said, John, are two-dimensional, not three-dimensional, um, as is a moral nature, I got that, uh, are now have a lot of the financial power to push their philosophy of life on the rest of us. And that's what we, we've got to stop. Absolutely. See, the thing is, if you go back to John Stuart Mill, uh, he was the one. I didn't. I, I didn't go back to him. I've never been to him. Who is he? Okay, John, John, John takes us on astral trips <laughs> into the past uh, all the time. You have to be ready to take a it, trip in time. If you don't mind me if, if you want a tree that reaches to the heavens, it has to have roots deep into the earth. See, so if if you really want to uh, approach an idea, if you if you know the history of the idea, see, mm-hmm. you can you can express it in a way that, that is resonant mm-hmm. to a much greater extent. The modern individual is ahistoric. Right. They're like a goldfish. Right. <laughs> as soon as they get to the other side of the bowl, then they come back and you're a brand new experience. Right. See? And that's, that's what uh, Facebook's basically is a goldfish bowl. Mm-hmm. And, but if you go back to John Stuart Mill, he... When was he? Why? Well, that's not important. Well, I know, but I, I, I like the, to get it grounding. 19th century. 19th yeah, century, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. The important point is, is, is the, the value of, of the ability to be wrong, you see, that, that uh, the whole scientific method is based upon perception of error, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That, that you pursue it a, a subject and you, you try to find the flaws in your theory, mm-hmm. and you keep refining your theory. That's right. what you do. And, and what's happening now in, in, in culture, you see this whole thing about uh, your social justice warriors and all of that madness out there. What's this? You can't say this word. You can't say... They're trying to, to hem you in. But see, the, the impetus behind this is these non-creative people. They want to simplify their task of control, mm-hmm. see? Because they go, okay, well, now that we've done this, you know, we, we, we can uh, get a, a, a greater sense of control over the population by limiting their choices. Sure, you demonize your opponent. And, and this is exactly what the Bolsheviks did after yeah, they took over exactly. Russia. I mean, this is well, see, a, but I've, that's non-human. I've said this earlier. I've seen this movie already. I know where this movie ends up. Yeah. It ends up in totalitarian control of everything in a, in a person's life, in the subject's life. And you then are terminated if you no longer have value to the society. And we don't want to say, because I'm being a Luddite over here, and we don't want to say... You know, no to all technology. That's not the point. It's use your moral forces to understand what is evil and what is good about anything, whether it be computer or Facebook or Twitter or uh, the, the Internet of Things or your car or whatever. If you have a spirit of thankfulness for these things that you don't even understand, because most of us don't understand except Michael McKibben here. Hardly. How these machines even work. We don't even know what electricity is. We don't know what electromagnetism is. We have 
We know how they work, but we don't know what they are. So what we need is consciousness. And if we can bring our own warmth, our own light, our own morality to these devices, then we can say, oh, Facebook is bad. I'm not going to use it. Matter of fact, I may boycott it. Uh, oh, I need the computer because I need to contact my friend who's in Russia or in Czechoslovakia or whatever. What a brilliant, brilliant device it is. But when it comes down to, are you going to turn your human warmth, light, and morality to the machine or to a human? I hope every time your choice is to the human. But to return Amen. to John Stuart Mill in the 19th century, his whole concept was that liberty justified the freedom of the individual in opposition to unlimited state and social control. Mm -hmm. See, so he was the one who was able to formalize that which was inherent within the U.S. Constitution, Bill of Rights, and all that. You know, most people have never uh, heard of some of these things, but you have the Federalist Papers. Right. Many people have heard of that, but they haven't heard of the Anti-Federalist Papers, okay? And the crafting of, of our current form of government is, is a dialogue between the, the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. And, and you can go back and you can see the issues that they were arguing. And that's the context out of which, as, as, as a ferment almost, mm -hmm. our constitutional government arose. What's so miraculous about the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Declaration of Independence that, that makes me consider them basically divinely inspired is because if you go back to the arguments that they were having, they're not applicable necessarily to, to, to the arguments we have today. But the constitutional framework mm -hmm. is sufficient to meet those challenges. I heard a very simple, uh, and I think this came from the framers, a, a very simple definition of property. It's, I use my freedom, I use my creativity and my freedom to create something out of my mind. Hmm. And as soon as I do that, that's my property, not the state's. Hmm. And, and that seems to have been a guiding principle for them on the issue of property. And it's interesting that Benjamin Franklin talked about having banks uh, base their value on property and not all these made up uh, uh, expressions. Uh, and I, I, it seems to work that if you, if you use your freedom to create something, whatever it is, and give it life, then that's your property. And look at all the things he invented from, you know, his kite experiments, uh, catching lightning, uh, putting it in a Leiden jar, basically the first electrical experiments, experiments uh, his experiments in so many, uh, in, the, in the Gulf Stream, and all the things that he invented. But uh, also, his, he was a creator in being a printer. And right. if we can remember that in those days, what we would call uh, in our day, the internet was printing. Mm -hmm. That's right. And simply the pamphlet, some of the pamphlets that he printed, one could literally point back to the pamphlets of Thomas Paine or the pamphlets of Benjamin Franklin and say, these communications went out and changed our world. So what we need to do with what we're doing here today in this conversation or in our intelligence reports or in the work that you and your friends and the shareholders it uh, uh, contribute to the Americans for Innovation, which make sure to go look at that site, folks, because you're going to see everything you need there if you want to look up anybody and find out their crimes, literally, literally their indictable crimes. 
And what we need to do is we need to bring this stuff to light so that we can see it for what it is. And then you can make up your mind. We're in America. We do have freedom and people will choose to go to evil consciously in some cases. But those people who are good people need to understand what these are so that they can put these things in perspective in their life because the future is not going to be ran by an artificial intelligent god. That's not going to happen. So throw that away. The concept is going to be that in the future, machines will only be ran by people who are moral, the good machines. There will be bad machines and they will be ran by the continuous amorality or immorality that we see in our machines now. But in the future, as John has pointed out, machines will only be able to be ran, the good ones, by people who have moral character. And that is what will pass into the machine. And then the machine at that point will be able to give us something that is also a gift to our own human evolution. Yeah, that serves rather than enslaves. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, that's, and so you have to say, okay, well, but what can we do right now? And I think that uh, President Trump is hitting on something very important when he talks about draining the swamp. He sees and he has shown through the way he has, has acted in regarding to climate control and regarding to the UN and regarding to all these great new world order agendas that the big problem that, that mankind is suffering under right now is centralization and that uh, there has to be a decentralization of powers from Washington. The states have to reassert themselves. Yes. Now, part of the problem that has happened is, is back in 1871, uh, there was a major event when, when uh, see... Wait, let me check my calendar. <laughs> We're yeah. going another time travel. <laughs> yeah, we got to do a time travel. But you have to see, these things don't... No, you're don't... right. 1871 is 1871. the crucial year. The Republican happened? came... Uh, the Republic basically has been under attack it's since... It's been then. hijacked since... since he... See, because... So that was after the Civil War. Well, see, what you have to keep in mind is that... It was the founding of Washington, D.C. in 1871. Well, it, it started causing the severe problems. But that's mm -hmm. the, wait, there's so much more to it. I because, understand. That's the long see, short. Okay, you have the Revolutionary War, right? And you have uh, 1776, the founding of these United States, okay? It's not the United States. It's not a right. thing. Okay, it's these United States. These were separate uh, sovereign states that were working together. Now, uh, when they defeated uh, the, the, the crown, okay, each one of these states had a different contract that it was served under. And these were beholding to corporate entities in Britain, okay? Now, the problem was, was that when, when we separated off as these United States from being colonies, the debt was not resolved, okay? And so what happened to that debt? And, and who did we owe that debt to? See, that's, that was part of, of the issue. And that ties into the whole debacle that, that eventually culminated in the Federal Reserve, mm -hmm. you see, because uh, as... 
So that was just a broiling unresolved issue. It was a it was an unresolved issue, which uh, some things were set aside by by Thomas Jefferson because he he just resigned them to the dustbin of of uh, what you would call uh, uh, they have a, they have a specific legal term for it odious debt. Mm. Okay, and that's it's. A debt that's created through uh, uh, evil means is an odious debt, and therefore it's not necessary to repay. Uh, There's a lot of great things that came from Thomas Jefferson. Uh, the the Really the formal creation of the Marines. And uh, the Marines are singular in, in that regard, and that's what's so interesting, what's going on right now in the current presidency mm. and the prominent role of the Navy and the Marines in what uh, President Trump is trying to accomplish. Because, like the Marine Band is called the President's Own, okay? And the Marines are a, the branch of the military that the President, all on his own, can call them to action, okay? Separate from all the hmm. other branches of the military. People don't know that about know. the Marines. There's a special dispensation there. And so that's interesting in light of the fact of that he's now surrounded largely by, by Marine personnel, and that's who's, who's really protecting him, I mm. believe, as to uh, certain other people in the know. And that's even been pointed out by uh, Q Clearance. See, so what's going on right now is a counter-coup against the coup that was uh, brought into being through the uh, actions of... of George Herbert Walker Bush, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama, that whole cartel. And the, the positive indication of it is, is the, the bombing of the, of the uh, opium factories that just happened just a week or so ago. Well, you don't read anything in about Afghanistan. That? No, you find this. I just happened to find this, this article that described it. And they blew. That's been a, a really a source for, for uh, revenue for what we might call the underbelly. So there's all these, these sources of, of uh, revenue that, that are there. And for some reason, the, this, this evil cartel thinks it deserves and needs unlimited funding. And so, for example, through the efforts of... Uh, well, when you can't create things, that's the only way to get it. Well, yeah, but to Catherine Austin Fitz, uh, working mm -hmm. with a professor over at uh, Michigan State University, has been able so far to, to come up with 21 to 26 trillion dollars of money that's disappeared, missing since, missing since 1998. Wow. So, and that money can be clawed back. So that would give what a, a good. Uh, I mean, that we could just give that, everybody. That would cover the Miller Act news. Yeah, see, so the, it's not like the resources aren't there. It's just that this whole, this whole gambit of centralization has, has absconded with, with our birthright. And that's because people believe that computers are correct, they're our future, and that artificial intelligence is greater than human intelligence. But that is a complete myth. And I can say that since 1913 and the founding, of the Federal Reserve and the dozen other acts that happened to attempt to destroy our republic and destroy uh, the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights, as John has so clearly addressed, 
Those things have been turned around since Trump got elected. And so what we see with what you're doing, Michael, bringing the win-win-win scenario of the Miller Act and getting President Trump involved in basically stopping the blind decision to let centralization, computerization, globalization take over this country and basically supplant the U.S. Constitution. So I just want to again thank you for you coming up here and having these conversations with us and John for you joining us today. And all I can say is I hope that we continue these conversations because every time I speak with you, Michael, I learn so much. It's just remarkable. And we just want to salute you and your 17 years of striving to defeat uh, these bureaucratic, static quo, deep state, uh, dark lords, really, is what it is. And we want to see your vision that you initially came up with of what social networking was supposed to do to free people so that they will no longer just be bound by machines, but that we can put the human first. So thank you, Michael. We sure appreciate your conversations. And John, thank you for being with us today. My thank pleasure. you. My pleasure.